you have your own Bible, turn to Colossians chapter 3. We want to begin reading in a few minutes in verse, verse 12. Well, we've all heard the expression, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. It means that there's going to be a lot of blind and toothless people in the world. Revenge. Unforgiveness. Uh, I'm going to talk to you this morning about forgiveness, which is, over the years as I've watched important things, this is probably in the top three important things in regard to our Christian life. It can affect us physically, it can affect us emotionally, it can affect our, affect our relationships. I said unintentionally infect our relationships, but that's really true, it can infect our relationships. So this morning, I'm going to ask you to do some, some soul searching as I'm talking. I don't want to impose something on you. Maybe you're, maybe you're doing great in your relationships, but gosh, as I've worked with people, this is one of the most common things that comes up is unforgiveness towards someone. Uh, one time I poured a glass of cold water on Ginger while she was in the shower. She's not, a forgive, she's not a forgiving person. She poured a bucket of cold water on me the next time I got in the shower. In marriage relationships, what happens if we don't set aside or let go of disagreements? Oh gosh, things get really ugly, don't they? They really can go south. At work, in a church, you know, what a shame sometimes in churches that you know, we're here, we're here to worship the Lord and we want to have healthy, vital relationships. And oftentimes there'll be, you know, this faction or that faction. I haven't noticed that since I've been here. I'm really thankful for that, but it, it does happen sometimes. So for, unforgiveness has no winners. So I want us to look together at Colossians chapter 3. This is the last of a series of messages on one another relationships. Jared did three, and I think I did one before that. This is the last of the one another relationships. Forgive one another. So just look on as I read Colossians 3, beginning verse 12. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. God's holy people, dearly loved people, pure people, Clothe yourselves, notice on the jar there, compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. And here's the sermon. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love which binds them all together in perfect unity. So I had these jars prepared. Here's a jar with clean, pure water. And this represents us when, when we're in right relationship with the Lord and right relationship with people. And we function in compassion. We're dearly loved, gentleness, humility, kindness, and patience. And this is what our life is like when we live in unforgiveness. 
That's what it'll do to you. You may not see it soon, but if you live in unforgiveness, it will show up and do some pretty ugly things in your life. So I want to get, not confronted, but personal with you this morning and ask you this question. Who, ask yourself, who do I need to forgive? Now, even as I ask that question, for some of you, somebody would immediately come to mind. For others of you, it might take a little while for me to get you there. Uh, just before I was, just before I came here, I was uh, an interim pastor in Seattle for four months, and went to a church that has great history. Started in 1977, I think, and went through a s season of great, great growth. Uh, there were over 3,000 people. When I showed up as an interim pastor, uh, obviously many years later, they had had three pastors, and they were about 700 people, which is a good-sized church, but not when you've been 3,000. It's not a good sign of what's happening. So I was asked to come and fill in and prepare the congregation for the next pastor, and when I walked in the worship center the first time, I, I don't know, these are the best words that I have. Do you know the word, I said there's a pall in this place. Do you know what a pall is? It's like, a, it's like what you feel at a funeral. A heaviness, a dreariness. And I, I walked in the worship center and I just felt this oppressive kind of a, spirit come upon me and I looked around and I thought gosh what, what is it is it the way the building's decorated and one thing I noticed that on the on the platform you know usually on the platform in larger churches they'll have really beautiful wonderful things on the platform in this church and it, it wasn't ugly it was it was well done but it was decorated with dead branches and I thought that's what I feel. It's like dead branches. So I talked to the staff a little bit about what I was feeling and asked them, you know, what was going on. And they were so accustomed to it, they didn't even know anything was wrong. But I started hearing these conversations, and, the, and here's what the conversations revolved around. The first pastor went through a season of many years of great growth, but then uh, he had to be removed. I was actually on the elder committee that, that decided to remove him. So there's some stuff there. Wonderful things, but he had to be removed. Some people were upset about that. Some people were upset at him. The second pastor came, and there was no controversy around his life at all. But the church dropped about 1,000 people and then remained steady. And he was able to build a beautiful facility in preparation for the next pastor because it was about time for him to retire. It's a good thing. Then the third pastor came and the church dropped steadily over a period of, I think it was three or four years. Just down, 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 down. And again, 700 is a good church, but not when you've been 
that big. It was just so there was just this negative feeling in the church. When I got there, they had three services: two on Sunday morning and one on Sunday night. And the sanctuary was about twenty-five percent full in all of them. So the first thing I did was put all the services together. But I started hearing these conversations about the first pastor. Then I heard conversations about the second pastor. Then I heard conversations about the third pastor. So everybody was had an attitude or was unforgiving toward one of them. Some defended one and some defended another. Some attacked one, some attacked another. But there was just this constant looking back. And their looking back was not a positive thing. So after a few weeks, I identified, you know, I really prayed about it because I thought, you know, what's, what's going on here? Because I wanted to prepare for the next guy. So I held a meeting after church on a Sunday morning. We fed them. We had a big, big banquet type thing. We fed them. And I talked about what I just said to you, only in more detail. And everybody there knows exactly where they fit. I supported this guy, but this guy came along. That guy did that. It was all negative. And the church was declining, and everybody felt bad about that, obviously. That's not going to be a positive influence in the church. So I identified that, and we prayed about it. And, and not to my credit, but by the time we left, they weren't looking back anymore. Now they were looking forward to the future with a sense of expectancy. Now my point in telling that is, was unforgiveness. They were holding on to things. And when you hold on to things, it, it prevents you from moving forward. Now the interesting thing about unforgiveness is you can always justify it. I know. Because I have. And probably you have too. They did this. And you're right, they did. They did that. And it was wrong. And it was hurtful. And you can hang on to that. And you can justify hanging on to that. That's, that's the trickiness with unforgiveness. Now, on the screen, I want you to notice several phrases that I'll, that I'll read to you that kind of identify when, you can, when you've got unforgiveness. When their name is mentioned, something happens internally. Anybody know what I mean? When you see them, you want to avoid them if possible. I mean, I've literally done that. I see somebody coming, I'll, I'll, I'll go another way so I don't have to look at them or talk to them. Unpleasant memories come back. Suddenly you're uneasy, even in turmoil, just by seeing them. You may have thoughts like, you hurt me. You deserve to pay for what you did. I'm not sure I can ever forgive you. Now, does anybody identify with any of those phrases? We all know, don't we? We all know what unforgiveness feels like and what unforgiveness looks like. So again, I don't want to impose this on you, but is there anybody's name that has come to your mind as we've kind of unpacked this? Somebody that you've not forgiven? 
Maybe it's a big deal. Maybe it's your husband or your wife. Maybe it's a friend that, you know, you didn't think it was that big a deal, but, but it's there. Second question is, why should, why should I forgive them? Why should I? They hurt me. How can I forgive them after what they did? Well, I want to do in a little bit of inventory here. When I was in the, in the grocery business, we, <clears throat> we took inventory when I was working for this one man once a year. When I was a manager, we took it once a quarter. But uh, then, you know, because I'm old, now you keep inventory on a computer. It's easy. And it just automatically keeps up when you order things and when you sell things. Then we had to count each individual item in the store. It was a big grocery store. And you had to count every individual item. We did it on New Year's Day. We got paid double time for it because it was a holiday, so we felt okay about that. But it was each individual item. So I want you to do a little inventory with me. I'll, I'll use myself as an example. Do you think that I've ever done anything to someone where I needed for forgiveness? Oh, come on now. <laughs> you know, if, if you would ask my kids, and I'm not a mean person, I mean, I, you know, I, but my kids could, could probably bring back things where they'd say, oh, I remember my dad did this or my dad did that. I don't. I think they've forgiven me, but they could tell you lots of things that I've done where they had to forgive me. Probably hundreds of things. Spoke harshly, or you know, did something that they thought was unfair. How about Ginger? Oh golly! <laughs> Anybody who's ever been married knows. There's a long list of stuff that we need to forgive each other for. How about in a church? If you would interview people, I was at Faith Chapel for 36 years, if you'd interview people from Faith Chapel or people that used to go to Faith Chapel but don't anymore, they could tell you things that they struggled with about me. Did I intend to hurt them? No. But when you stand up in front of people and talk for 36 years, you're bound to say a few things that people don't like. I can look back on some things. I think I'm all cleaned up, but, but there, there are things there. My point is, probably every day you do something that you need to be forgiven for in your relationship with the Lord. Maybe not a big thing in your mind, but an attitude or something that you say. And so we come to this passage in Colossians. Notice it again. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy, dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you have against one another. Forgive as the Lord has forgiven you. Let's say that together. Forgive as the Lord has forgiven you. So I am to forgive out of gratitude for my forgiveness. So <clears throat> I, I dug around in my drawer yesterday in my papers and I found this, this uh, note that I signed for, uh, for the house that we live in. 
I signed it, Ginger signed it, somebody at the bank signed it, and uh, tells what the loan was, how much the payments were. But notice this stamp right here on there. You can probably guess what that is. Paid in full. What a day it was when I got to pay off that loan and they stamped it paid in full. I didn't know if that would ever happen in a lifetime. You don't. When you, when you buy a house, it's a huge expenditure. It's paid in full. Listen to Paul. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. Notice that. Secondly, he forgave us all our sins having canceled the written code with its regulations. In other words, for the sins that you had, it was like paid in full on the cross. That was, against, that was against us, that stood opposed to us. He took it away, nailing it to the cross, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Now think about those three things. Number one, this is what it was accomplished on the cross. Number one, you were dead in your sins. You were dead spiritually, but now you've been made alive. Remember when you're dead spiritually? I do. You do too. But now I'm alive because of what Jesus did. Secondly, it says that my debt has been paid in full. In other words... I can look back on my life and I can think I did this, 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 I did this. If God wanted to hold something against me, he's got a thousand to the tenth power. He's got a lot he can hold against me. On the cross, it was paid in full. I have been forgiven. You have been forgiven. Sometimes we don't grasp that. How could he forgive me? But he has. He's forgiven us. My, my debt is paid in full. And thirdly, it says, it made a public spectacle of Satan on the cross. I love that. In Roman times, what that's referring to is in Roman times, you know, the Romans were, oh gosh, they were cruel. They'd, they'd conquer a nation, and they led by fear. They, they would conquer them so severely that it would make anybody else afraid to, to rebel. And one of the ways they did that is they'd have this parade. After they conquered a nation, they'd have a parade that would go through town, and the military would come first. And you remember the Roman soldiers in their military uniforms? They were so awesome. And then at the end of the procession, they would have more soldiers. Those Roman soldiers looked so powerful, so awesome. In the middle, you know what they had? A conquered king, humiliated, stripped, beaten, humiliated. That's what it's talking about with Satan. He's been whipped. He's been whooped. The only power he has against you is a lie. He can lie to you and convince you of things, but that's the only power he has. He's been defeated on the cross. So knowing that, my sins have been paid for. I'm alive spiritually. I was dead and the enemy has been defeated, why would I not forgive someone? He has forgiven me a thousand times to the tenth power. Why would I not want to forgive somebody for something they did to me? 
When I stand before Jesus and when you stand before Jesus, what is your plea? It's not going to be you. I did this, I did that. Whoopee. I plead the blood of Jesus. He paid my price. If he paid my price, he left heaven, came to earth, paid my price, how could I not? After all he's forgiven me for, how could I not forgive someone else? I am to forgive, secondly, because the consequences of not doing so are severe. Some of you aren't going to like this, but it's true. If I don't, he won't. If I don't forgive them, he won't forgive me. I'm not talking about losing your salvation. I'm talking about the fact that if you don't forgive people, then there's a hindrance, there's a barrier in your relationship with Jesus that's real. It will affect your prayer life. It will affect your relationship with him. And there's a barrier in your relationship with people that will affect you and will affect other people. You remember the parable about that Jesus told about the guy who owed... Uh, would be the equivalent of several million dollars in our culture. It was 10,000 10, talents. And the guy that he owed the money to said, I'm going to throw you in prison, leave you there, and I'm going to sell your family into slavery. And he said, please have mercy on me. And the, and the master had mercy on him. He walked out the door. What did he do? Somebody owed him a few bucks. And he grabbed him and choked him. The guy begged for forgiveness. He said, no, I'm not going to forgive you. So the other servants saw what had happened, how much he'd been forgiven for, and what he did to the other person, and they went to the master. And this is what he said. The master called the servant in, you wicked servant. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? This is a picture, obviously, that Jesus is telling a parable of our relationship with the Lord. In anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should... Pay back all he owed. This is how your heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. I didn't make that up. Jesus said that. Consequences of unforgiveness are serious. So Ginger gave a great illustration a number of years ago about her dad. Her dad uh, was not known as a kind man in his younger years. And he was particularly unkind to animals. And he didn't always use good judgment. He, they had this cat. And he didn't particularly like cats, but he liked this cat. And this cat killed one of his prize pigeons. So he shot the cat. He was so mad at himself for shooting the cat that he liked that he went out and shot the rest of his pigeons. <laughs> All that to say, they had this dog, this cocker spaniel named Daisy. I might have told you about Daisy. Daisy killed, uh, killed some chickens, and Ed knew he needed to break that dog break of uh, killing chickens, so he took a chicken and somehow tied, tied this chicken around Daisy's neck, and Daisy carried that chicken around. Now, can you imagine? She's going to gnaw on it, and it's going to be bloody, and it's going to be hot and raw and stinky. It's going to be a mess. He just let her carry the, carry the dead chicken around. 
Do you suppose that affected Daisy? Ooh, man, even this, this even stinks to me. You expect the kids wanted to get close to Daisy? No. I don't think so. That's what happens to you with unforgiveness. It affects you. Unforgiveness affects your soul. You know what anger and unforgiveness and even bitterness can do to you. It's ugly. It's ugly. It affects you negatively. You lose your joy. And people don't want to be around you. If you're an unforgiving person and you're talking about somebody in an unforgiving, they don't want to be, they don't want to, people don't want to listen to that. They don't want to be around you. It affects your relationship with God. It affects your relationships with people. Obviously, I won't say the man's name, but I, there was a congregant that went to Faith Chapel many years ago, and, and he and I were kind of friends for a while, and he got mad at me about something I never did know what, took off. But he was, he was an angry man. Spit venom about people all the time. Almost every conversation, he'd spit venom about people. Just a few years ago, I did a funeral at Faith Chapel, and I saw his wife, who was a sweetheart. I saw his wife, but I didn't see him. So I said to Ginger, I, did, I, didn't, I didn't see him today. I saw her, but I didn't see him. She said, oh, he was there. You just didn't recognize him. He's, he's old, and he's bent over like this, and he's crippled. And she said, he's unrecognized. You wouldn't know it's the same man. Now, I know there's some physical things there, but I'm going to tell you. The, the, the Bible talks about that you have bitterness in your bones. It affects you physically. It affects you emotionally. If you're a bitter, unforgiving person. People see it about your life. It takes your joy away. My point in all that is forgive as the Lord has forgiven you. That's high motivation. So what steps can we take to initiate forgiveness? First of all, gratitude. I mean, that does it for me. When I think, I look back and I think, all the, all the things that God has forgiven me for, duh. I did all these things, and they did one thing or two things. Doesn't compare. Why would I not forgive? And then fill out on your outline there, pray. Don't pass over that too quickly. Pray. Remember the place where Jesus said, ask, seek, knock? It literally says, keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. In other words, when you're trying to let go of forgiveness, it doesn't go away right away. Pray. Ask the Lord to help you deal with it. Let's say the Lord's Prayer together. Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts or trespasses as we have forgiven the trespasses of others. That's what I wanted you to get. Forgive, forgive me as I have forgiven others. You've prayed that prayer a million times and so have I. But we can just kind of skip over that and not think, gosh, I haven't forgiven that person. That's still there. 
So I'm saying to the Lord, I'm at, I'm at, conditionally, I'm asking you to say, use the same standard on me as, you, as I use on others. Better, better stay clean and forgiven. Secondly, live with an open hand. You've heard me talk about this before. When I, you know, when I say let go, in terms of unforgiveness, Lord, I'm letting that go. I'm, I'm leaving it. And in one particular relationship, I had to do that for three or four years. Just, Lord, I'm leaving it. And I'd have to do it over and over again. Over and over, because there's a bruise there. Over and over again, Lord, I let that go. My uncle was a, a missionary Baptist pastor in a little tiny church in a little tiny town on the southern border of Oregon. It's called New Pine Creek. And it was this little Baptist church, kind of classic old, you know, early 1900s church with a steeple and white and and when we would go to visit my uncle, <clears throat> his son and I, just little, just little shavers, we'd go over, and he rang the, the bell every morning because everybody in town could hear the, the bell ring. So we'd go over, and there's this big rope, and we'd jump up on that rope, and we'd pull it down, and it would just you know, pull us back up and pull it down and pull it up, pull it down, pull it up. As long as you hang on to that rope, what happens? Bell keeps ringing. What happens if you let go of the rope? But it doesn't quit instantly, does it? It slows down, and it slows down, and it slows down, and finally it's almost imperceptible, but you can hear it, and then it's gone. That's usually the way unforgiveness happens. Live with an open hand. Then ask yourself, who can help me in the process? Of... Uh, you need to select carefully. Some people will just reinforce your anger and unforgiveness. Well, gosh, they did that to you? <laughs> Again, you can justify it, but make sure you process it with somebody who can pray with you, can talk it through with you carefully, be patient with you, hold you accountable. There probably is such a person in your life. And then th this one's a little sensitive. Evaluate carefully. Do I need to talk to the person? Now, this verse, Matthew 23, 24, says, Therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar, and remember that your brother has something against you, they have something against you even, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled to your brother, then come back and offer your gift. In other words, the Lord is saying, don't talk to me until you've talked to them. Wow. Maybe you need to talk to somebody about if there's an issue there of unforgiveness, either from them toward you or you toward them, maybe you need to talk to them. Now, in sexual abuse situations or in divorces or with some people, because of who they are, it wouldn't be constructive for you to go talk to them. You just need to deal with it yourself and you need to let it go. But in many cases... You need to go to the person and talk to them and get it resolved as you possibly can. And it's hard. I had two situations in the last seven years. Gosh, it was hard, but I knew I needed to go talk to the person. Who do you need to talk to? Or do you just need to deal with it yourself? So when am I going to begin this process? Why don't we begin right now? We're going to receive communion this morning.
And I, I'm going to ask you to examine your heart for anything that's there. Maybe, maybe it's not an issue of unforgiveness. Maybe it's something else. But I'm going to ask you to deal with that this morning as we uh, go ahead and come, come forward, Jim. As we uh, ask those who are passing out the elements to do that while we're singing a worship song, I want you to evaluate your own heart and just ask the Lord, okay, Lord, I'm willing. Is there anything I need to deal with? And you can go ahead and do that. Power, the one who 
says if we confess our sins he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness so in terms of our relationship with the Lord one of the reasons we receive communion is just to bring us to the place where we remember the body of Christ was broken for me the blood of Christ was shed for me he paid my price and just to confess anything that's there Agree with him that that's sin, and, and he'll cleanse us. He'll forgive us. In terms of our relationship with other people, I think about Jesus on the cross. If anybody had a reason to not forgive somebody, it was Jesus. They brutalized him. He's the son of God. They brutalized him on the cross, but you remember what he said. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. So, Lord, this morning, I pray for each of us, Lord, if there's anything, any barriers there in terms of unforgiveness. Lord, help us to let it go and keep letting it go until it's gone. And I pray that you'd restore relationships as a result of our thoughts this morning. Help us get that cleaned up, Lord. If there's anything else in our life that's standing between you and us, we hold that up to you today and we, we thank you for paying the price for our sins. And we celebrate this morning, Lord, your great grace in forgiving us of so much. Thank you for what you did on the cross. And we receive your forgiveness today in Jesus' name. Let's partake together.
By your grace you are making us faithful. Lord, we remember you. And remembrance leads us to worship. And as we worship you, our worship leads to communion. We respond to your invitation. We remember you. Dying you destroyed our death. Rising you restored our life. Lord Jesus, come in glory. 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 Lord, we remember you. And remembrance leads us to worship. And as we worship you, our worship leads to communion. We respond to your invitation. We respond to your invitation. We remember you. All right. God spoke to you this morning about something. So every day this week, we've provided you with a sheet to talk to the Lord about that, scriptures and a prayer, and we've provided you with some questions to talk to a family member or a friend or a small group, go over that with them so you can share with each other and hold each other accountable and be an encouragement to each other. So go be light and salt, go make things brighter and make things better. God bless you. See you later.
remember uh, our friend 